Welcome to C'est la vie. I'm Katie, and today's episode, we're going to be talking about the medical system here in France. My guest is Preston, and he's been living in Paris for a little bit of time, and he's had a lot of experiences navigating the medical system, as have I, and so we're going to just get right into it. Thanks for listening. So we're welcoming Preston today. Thanks for coming, Preston. Hey, thanks for having me again. And so we're going to just kind of jump right in. And so just to start that off, let's just introduce our various illnesses. <laughs> oh, God. How much time do we have? Uh, okay, so I, I will start and just speak for myself, tell a little about, about my health history. When I was uh, 17 years old, I was still living in the United States. And I uh, noticed in the mirror that my shoulders were becoming asymmetrical and that my left shoulder in particular was looking pretty weird. Uh, so I went to the doctor. They sent me for an MRI. I got the MRI and we got the results back. And it was pretty clear immediately that I had a tumor. And we didn't know the specifics of the tumor, but we were told it looks aggressive, it looks serious, uh, we're sending you to an oncologist to find out more. So as I said, I was 17 at the time, it was 2010, early 2010, and so I was still on my parents' healthcare. So um, as we're talking about this healthcare conversation, just know that I have experience with it in the U.S. more as a child, not as an adult. Um, and so I was diagnosed with cancer in the end. Um, it's a type of cancer called Ewing sarcoma. And um, I I started out by doing a lot of chemotherapy. If I remember correctly, I think I had eight chemotherapy treatments before I had a big invasive surgery to remove what was left of the tumor. Um, and then after the chemotherapy, I mean, I'm sorry, after the chemotherapy and the surgery at the beginning, I was meant to have more chemotherapy afterwards. And, um, yeah, the, then I started doing some more chemotherapy and, uh, I got really, really sick and we can talk about that more in detail later, but it was pretty intense. Um, so I got really sick, and we ended up supplementing my treatment with radiation. And that's how I ended up finishing out my cancer treatment the first time I had cancer. Uh, fast forward seven years, and I'm living in France. Uh, I'm living in a city called Brest, which is in Brittany. Uh, and I started having a lot of pain in my shoulder. I just have this very like kind of visceral memory of I was in the kitchen and I was drying off some dishes and uh, my my hand slipped and nothing really happened. My arm just kind of like fell down to my side, but that sent this searing pain through my body and I collapsed on the floor in pain. So I knew there was something bad going on. So I went to the doctor and sure enough, after some scans, we saw that there was another tumor in my arm, more or less the same place. I was diagno diagnosed on the same day, seven years later from the first time I had cancer. And, uh, so then I ended up having uh, cancer here in France, and they told me, they said, the only option for you, because your tumor is so big and uh, is so invasive, is really to amputate your left arm. 
So I had my arm amputated here in France in May of 2017. And so those have been my two really big experiences um, in healthcare and my two really big health issues. Um, but there have been like a host of other things that have gone with that, like mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing a psychologist has been really important for me uh, in the wake of all of that. And uh, that's something that I have experienced in, in the U.S. and in France. Yeah, so that that's my basic health situation. I think we'll get into some more detail afterwards, but that's okay. like the the you know Sparknotes version. <laughs> Sparknotes. A little bit of American culture for you guys. American. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll just go real quick into my various illnesses. Yeah. I was diagnosed with Carey malformation when I was three, which means my brain was growing down my spinal cord, and I had a, a cyst also in my spine. So I had brain surgery at a really young age where they removed bone and brain, which was quite an experience, but I don't remember it very well. So mm-hmm. it was definitely more of a um, parental thing at that point. Then various health things here and there, trigger finger surgery and sinus problems. Till I was about 10, I got bit by a tick. We knew I got bit, but we didn't know what would be the retributions of that. So it took about a year or two. Uh, before I got diagnosed with Lyme disease, and that year or two definitely wrecks havoc. By the time I got diagnosed, I wasn't really sleeping. I couldn't walk very well. A lot of gut issues, a lot of problem processing food and such. Could barely make it out of bed for school or anything. And so that was when I was about 10 or 11. And then years of figuring that out, figuring out what different symptoms were, whether if it hit your heart or if it hit your your brain and stuff like that. A lot of pain, a lot of joint pain, but still a fairly normal life, just with a chronic type illness on the side, which, uh, like you, has a lot of retributions and a lot of yeah. more detail in that. Yeah, there's always more detail. There's I mean, always it's, more. It's, it's crazy because when you're, when you're sick, you really realize how everything is connected in your life, and yeah. that sickness really sets off a kind of domino effect in a way, you know? Yes, but... For me, there's not a lot of perception prior to sickness. Mm. Anyways, went into more of a remission after I had about three years of strep throat off and on. Attacked Lyme and strep with a lot of antibiotics. Through that developed what's called leaky gut, but that just has a lot of the same symptoms as Lyme, which is quite confusing. And that just I just really control how what I eat now, so Mm. I have a lot of food things. More so recently, took a fall a few, a year and a half ago that has resulted in a lot of symptoms that have been continuously getting worse that we haven't quite solved yet. Um, Lots of numbness, lots of muscle shaking, can't always control my muscles, can't always control (laughs) all of that. A lot of difficulty and a lot of pain, which is trying to, we're still trying to solve it all, which we'll talk about again, but for me in France, the most recent thing has been navigating, trying to solve that. And then I also ended up having surgery on what's called a polonial cyst that has nothing to do with my medical history. And so I had surgery June 20th of this summer, and it's about a three-month recovery. So that's our <laughs> our long, complicated, and emotional health history. Yeah, it is very emotional. Like, And although our experiences are very different. yeah. It, they're very similar in the in that way. Yeah. You know, it, it changes everything, and it does take an emotional toll. It really does. 
Yeah, because we were so we were talking about it beforehand. I mean, it's so emotional. You have to choose whether to be open and public about it because mm. it's you. Yep. It's what you experience and it's your life. And but ours is so different in that I have a I have lots of scars, but my most prominent scar is my brain surgery scar. But because I have hair, most no one can see it, but people can see yours. Mm. Yeah. So do yep. you get treated differently? since that mm, for the most part no i've so i had my amputation in uh as i said in may of 2017 and it took about a year for me to get my prosthetic arm uh and since that time so it's been a little over a year since i've had my prosthetic arm since that time people treat me more or less normally before that however people definitely treated me differently and i i just remember i was very self-conscious about it just on a personal level because it was such a massive change in my personal life yeah. um i mean when you go from looking more or less like everyone else to suddenly you're visibly handicapped and you're also trying to navigate being handicapped in your everyday functional life uh, that's a bit of an adjustment, you know? So I was really trying to adjust emotionally while in the meantime, in public, everyone was staring at me constantly. And I mean, I, I literally, uh, this is kind of a terrible memory. I, I remember there, there was, uh, there were multiple occasions when kids would just stare at me and some of them would cry when they saw me. Um, some of them would like scream out for their mothers, while I was walking past because they, it, and they looked at me almost like I was a monster, you know? So in that way, yeah, people did treat me differently. Um, something that's nice about being handicapped here in France is that generally French people are more reserved than Americans. Yeah. And so I've only had like two or three people that have dared to ask me what happened to me. Like, or what, where's your arm? Like what happened to your arm? I've only had two or three people that have even dared to ask that. Whereas in the U.S., I feel like that, question might come up more often in a much friendlier way maybe in a much m more caring genuinely interested way but uh it doesn't come up that much have you been back to the state since it's happened yeah i i went so i've been back for christmas for the past few years okay. and so when i go back uh for christmas um i actually the first time i guess i i didn't have my prosthetic arm uh when i went back and it was not that long after the surgery and people were very accommodating. People were always offering to help. No one really asked me what happened now that I think about it. Um, but then again, the only people that I really saw were people in like at the grocery store and then the people I already knew who mm. knew what happened. So no one had to ask. Um, but then the last time I went, I had my prosthetic arm. And so I kind of blend in unless people like really analyze me because um, on my prosthetic arm, you can kind of, it looks lifelike, but the color of the skin is a bit paler than my real color. Um, it's not as rosy. So if you really look closely, you can see that it's not the same. But, uh, you know, unless you really take a close look, you probably won't notice. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's been, it it has been interesting seeing the, the difference in the way people, American people approach the situation, French people approach the situation. But again, I don't have tons of experience with that because I haven't spent that much time in the U.S. since it happened. We both know. Mine's invisible. Like, mm -hmm. no one could know. Yeah. And it's not until I mention it that it would become a thing. Right. 
and most of the time people still don't react. I find that people react more so when I've I've been friends with them mm. for some time and I forget to mention the fact that some of my brain's not in my head. <laughs> I I have a one really good friend and we've known each other for seven years and I forgot to tell her I had brain surgery as a kid. And this was before a lot of the symptoms that would be associated with Chiari mm. came back or before I could connect the dots together. And I just mentioned it slightly because I was like, I might get a tattoo of, of a zipper on my scar. And she was like, what scar are you talking about? It's like, oh, you didn't know. Yeah. It's definitely... A, it's so weird when stuff so like that happens. Weird. It's happened to me too. Has yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you ever have this pressure of being like, when do I tell people? yes. Yes. I, you know, I just started a new job and I was, uh, I, I went out for drinks with some of my colleagues and we're just talking about our lives. And then it just kind of like came up in conversation and I was stuck there thinking, okay, how much do I tell you? Because it's a heavy, heavy topic. Yeah. And I don't know how much you've bargained for, you know, how much yeah. do you want to know? Because I will tell you everything that doesn't bother me really. But I don't want to put that burden on you if you're not ready for it, you know? Because it's heavy. It's a heavy story. Did you end up telling them? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Actually, I told them I told them basically my whole life story because, as I said, everything's interconnected. Yeah. And so, like, my, my health history is interconnected with my relationship with my family, which really got a lot better after the first time I had cancer. Because, really? you know, I was a teenager. I was going through my rebellious teenage years. And then suddenly... I was dependent on my parents to literally take care of me. And we grew very close suddenly, whereas before we were always at each other's throats. <laughs> and so, yeah, I went through that whole story. I told my colleagues about it. I told them about me being handicapped. But honestly, I like being upfront with people about me being handicapped. Um, full disclosure, I'm, I uh, teach English at a university here in Paris, and uh, I actually told my students that I'm handicapped. I, because I, for me, it's honesty is the best policy here. They're going to notice eventually that like yeah. one of my hands is different than the other hand, that I'm never using it, things like that. So I would just prefer to be honest and be like, listen, sometimes you'll see me struggling. If you do, ask me if I need help. I will probably be very grateful, <laughs> you know. Um, but just so you know, that that's a situation. So I, I prefer to be upfront with people about it. <laughs> I've definitely had... The sense of, especially in terms of close friends mm. or relationships, you had your part, had your partner. You you knew your partner prior to the surgery. Yeah, yeah, I did. We 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 had been together about a year and a half at that point. Yeah, which was actually really crazy uh, because we got a civil union. Um, literally a month before I was diagnosed. And I remember actually having a conversation with him just to be like, hey, if we're going to take this step, I want to be sure that we're on the same page about this. If you get sick, I'm going to take care of you, but I need to know that you're going to do the same for me, especially given my health history. And he was like, yeah, obviously. Like, I love you. I'm going to stay by your side no matter what happens. And so we went ahead with it, and it was just a month later that I was diagnosed. And so, yeah, he's he's been a, a huge help to me in this adjustment, in this change, yeah. I find it quite difficult in terms of friendships or relationships being like, one, when do I tell you? And two, how much is this going to change? 
how we treat each other. Because at this point, especially during the summer, it was the focal point of my life. And it shouldn't be, but it was. I know. And there's definitely the sense of, especially because I didn't, so I I I'm alone in Paris. Mm. That sounds super that sounds really super depressing. depressing. But like I moved here alone. I didn't know anyone before I moved here. Had no connections to the city. Have been making my way through the city, which is how a lot of people do it. I just ended up having this health history that I didn't know I would have when I signed on to going to my master's here. I didn't know I would be navigating MRIs and navigating neurologists and cardiologists and all those different peoples here, let alone going to the hospital and getting surgery, yeah. which was the least expected thing. Yeah. Always stressful in a foreign country, regardless of how their healthcare system works, just the fact that you're going through that anywhere where you're not very familiar with the way things work, yeah. or especially the language, like the language barrier. I mean, all of this stuff, I can imagine it would be... Scary, especially if you're new here. Yeah, so you had it. How many years had you been in Paris or France at this yeah. point? Yeah, yeah. So I, I wasn't living in Paris, but I, um, I had been. It was I'd been here. I mean, we can say two years, but it's it was really a, a bit less than that because you know I would be here for like seven months and then I would go back to the states for the summer and mm-hmm. then come back and. So I was kind of going back and forth, but yeah, I had been here for, I mean, roughly like two and a half years at the time. Uh, so I had had some experience with the healthcare okay. uh, here already, like, um, especially because in 2015, I kind of like had a bit of a breakdown and I started taking antidepressants. And so I was in close contact with my general practitioner at that point because I was going to her every month for her to check up on me, be like, okay, how's how's it going with the medicine you're taking and everything? Um, so I had had experience in that sense, but other than that, before my diagnosis here in France being the second time that I had cancer before that, I didn't have more extensive experience with the system. Yeah. Yeah. I was here for four months prior to surgery Mm. and I remember getting, being told, and it's such a simple procedure, but it's not. But it is in the sense that it's quite common and it's not life-threatening. And it's, for them, just like an in and out. And for me, it was like a shock. Mm. He was like, okay, here, sign these papers. Sign, um, this is an anesthesiologist you need to see. This is a hospital. These are all the appointments you need three weeks before we go to the surgery. Who's your emergency contact number? And I just sat there and I was in, I'm pretty sure, complete shock. Being Mm. like, I have no clue. Yeah. Who oh and it was during summer in Paris. So half of the people were gone. <laughs> yes. Because the summer is the worst <laughs> yes. and no one's ever <laughs> Yeah, no one's here. No one's That's here. True. And so I like I had to put people who I knew kind of as my emergency contact. And then three weeks later I had surgery oh and was struggling for three months when the nurse came every day and packaged mm-hmm. and was just um, not a great introduction into the healthcare system. Okay, interesting. Can I can I ask you, so financially, how did yeah. that work for you? Because I know France has a really good reputation here. You know, um, like in 2000, it was rated the best healthcare system in the world. Oh, really? Yeah. And so, oh, wow. uh, you know, the French are very proud of their healthcare system. In the debate about healthcare back in the U.S., like people often point to France and say, "Like, oh, that's a good system. We should be like them." But what was your personal experience financially with the system? 
Um, I am really lucky in that I have um, savings. Okay. Really lucky. So it was expensive. I've spent quite a bit of money on, because a lot of it, there was a point where um, with some of my problems, I like get things that, like nerves that shoot down my legs. So if I can't feel them and then their nerves, like you could have done something to your back. So I've, I've had two MRIs since I've been here. Those aren't cheap. Mm. And then you have two. They're still cheaper than the States, though. Yeah, I mean, definitely. But what's really interesting is that, um, so I've spent a lot, but I am in the process of sending it back now. So with the Social Security, mm. I don't have mutual yet. Uh, I need to get mutual. Yes, get a mutual. They're not that expensive. Yeah, but I there's other reasons why I've been holding off on that decision. Okay. But even without mutual, I get 70, 70% back. Okay, yeah. And but it it should, I mean, it, technically mm. the mutual, it should depend on which tier you choose. Because they yeah. often offer a few tiers. And like before, I had the most expensive tier. Because um, I'm in the process, because I was a student and now I'm teaching, I, I changed from the Sécurité Sociale Étudiante. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, um, I'm now going to the general one. But the Secu étudiante uh, is mm-hmm. like changing. Like they, basically, it doesn't exist anymore. But it, they were phasing it out when yeah. I was leaving. Um, and anyway. for people who don't understand, if yeah. you're a foreigner and you're new to the French healthcare system, you are as a as a citizen or a resident mm-hmm. of France, yes. you are given a social security number, right? And that automatically gives you sixty percent off of the cost of whatever you do. In majority, yeah, of yeah. Things. I they pay for seventy to eighty percent of healthcare costs apparently, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of these, and I think this is what you're speaking about, um, are actually reimbursed to you after the fact. Yes. So you yes. might uh, pay upfront for something, but then then you will be reimbursed reimbursed for seventy to eighty percent. Yeah. And that's where that supplementary insurance comes in. Which is what mutual is. That's the mutuel. Um and so it's on average fifty four euros per month. I I was paying like twenty eight euros, but I was a student. So they had like a cheaper Mm -hmm. one. But for me with my mutuel, it covered literally everything else. Everything. A hundred percent. So I after paying my mutuel every month, if I had um like if I had like a scan or something that's not related to my uh, cancer health history, um, I might have to pay a little bit. But with that mutuel, I wouldn't have to pay anything. Okay. Yeah. And th- that that is something that's really really nice. And once you get once you're here for a certain amount of time, the average is like eight to nine months. You get a carte vitale. Yeah. Uh, I've just been given um, the paper for me to send in to get it. Okay. So I finally have it. Well, that's good. Which is really nice because the then you, you don't really spend, from what I know, you don't spend anything up front. It depend. It actually depends on the doctor. Okay. Um, so, so some doctors, they will just accept the card and they will accept just being reimbursed from the state mm-hmm. later on. But a lot of doctors, from what I've heard, are kind of um, leery about all doing that. And so... Uh, a lot of them will ask you to pay, uh, I believe it's uh, 23 euros up front for seeing a general practitioner, for example. Yeah. So you'll pay that 23 euros up front, but then it will be reimbursed to your bank account later by, yeah. um, well, 70 to 80% will be reimbursed to your bank account later by the French government. Um, and yeah. So I've experienced that 
personally. So the actual surgery was free. Mm. Everything surrounding it was not. Mm. Not expensive, but not free. But actual surgery is free. And I actually just recently went to a cardiologist as well, who's a very nice man. <laughs> and he's like, I usually charge people a lot of money, but because you're a student and you're from Florida, you're only it only costs 60 euros. And I was like, cool. Because there's a part of, I don't, he was sector two, I think. Okay. So there's a part where you are, you're required to charge a certain amount of money. Mm -hmm. And then they can choose if they want to charge you more. And because I'm a student and because I'm pretty sure because I'm a foreigner and I've been alone, people have been so, so kind. And they're like, we're going to charge you the bare minimum mm -hmm. that we have to charge you. Well, that's nice. A lot of people would yeah. just charge you extra. Which is a big contrast with the American system. Big contrast. If, you, if you're in the United States and you need treatment, it doesn't matter if you're a student. It doesn't matter if you're a foreigner. You get charged. Uh, the You get, there's kind of, there. I mean, a lot of it's veiled in secrecy, the prices, because yeah. sometimes it depends on what insurance you have as to how much they charge for stuff. But uh, you, you don't get any favors because you're a student in the U.S. They don't care. Yeah. Yeah. And we both, I barely navigated the insurance system in the States. Ugh. And I know that because we were kids. Mm -hmm. So I'm still 22 to the fact where if I need to go home, like that was such a when I was deciding whether to have surgery here in France or not, like the fact that I'm 22 and I'm still under my parents' fairly good healthcare um, insurance, I had Lucky. the choice. Yeah, I had the choice to go back, and we decided not to because I would have gone through doctors again and then just would have extended something that shouldn't have been extended. But you didn't really have that choice. No. I mean, well, I in a way I did, but it would have been so complicated that we just decided it wasn't worth it. Um, so when I was diagnosed uh, the second time here in France, I originally, when I got that news from the doctor, just like anyone, I was very emotional. I was really upset. Um, I called my partner on the phone and I was saying, I'm really sorry. Like, I, I think I have cancer again. Like, I, I think I'm going to go back to the US. And so he was just kind of like taken aback by that because, you know, I mean, he's like, no, like you, you can get your treatment here. Like, don't worry about it. It's okay. I'll be with you. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to put that stress on you. Like, that's a lot. That's a burden for you. And I don't want to be a burden. And, and I, I mean, I will say to, I will say something good about the American healthcare system is that when you do have good insurance and when you have enough money to pay the co-pays and everything, when money's not an issue, yeah, you do get good care. Yeah. And the the care can be exceptional. And we the US invests more money in research and development than any other country on earth, which is really amazing. But there are a lot of cons to that. And uh, that is the cost to the individual, which ended up being the reason that I wouldn't go back to the U.S. Um, had I gone back, actually, I might have been able to get on uh, Medicaid. Um, and because I, my salary was so low here in France that it almost didn't count. Um, but Medicaid, apparently, I was just learning about this. It actually depends on the state where you're from as to, like, the exact criteria for who qualifies. Um, I was reading, like, in Arkansas, like, a family of four that makes like 3000 us dollars per year doesn't even qualify like so some states are really crazy about this but um here you know i found out that if i had cancer all 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 costs related to my cancer treatment everything 
from chemotherapy to surgery to uh, radiation to my eventual uh, prosthetic arm, everything would be covered 100% by state health care. And that, for me, was the deciding factor to stay uh, rather than leave. I've heard this before from other people I've talked to where it's the cost. Mm. And people who haven't had this kind of trauma, mm-hmm. um, in a way, abroad, don't know how actually difficult it is. And the fact that one of the main reasons you choose not to go back to your home country for something as invasive as surgery is cost is just beyond me. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second here. Do it. Um, for me, the way that the American healthcare system is set up is immoral. It is just straight up immoral to make people who are sick, who cannot work, pay so much money for their health care. To me, is an immoral thing. And we should protect those who are sick or who are weak or who are poor or elderly. Those are the people that we should be protecting. And to know that in a system like the American system, that's not the case, really is very concerning to me. And um, yeah, I, I know that, you know, on a very personal level, my family would love for me to move back to the United States, but I've made it very clear to them until the United States changes its healthcare system, I'm not interested. I might move to Canada, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they at least seem to have it together to an extent with their healthcare system, but the U.S. doesn't. It's like really in the in the pockets of for-profit industry. And that's, to me, that someone's health is going to be lining your pocket with dollars. That's very disconcerting to me. Yeah. I do, I will say that at least, okay, so for me, being able to qualify for my parents' medical insurance made a world of difference because I was, I remember post-surgery being in this place where I was, like, not able to go back home. Like, something had happened where my brother was in the hospital, but it, was, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a big thing. But it made me think more so of being like, okay, if something had happened, like, because of my surgery, because it was in the worst location, I couldn't sit on a plane for two months, two more months. And I, like, I literally couldn't leave the city. Like, I was pretty much sequestered into the specific area and not able to leave and there's this like both gratitude of being like at least where I'm from at this time in my life if something had happened I can go home at least we're from a country where if something happens it would be a pain in the butt Mm -hmm. but we could go home yeah if I was from anywhere else and something happened at home or something happened to me and like my parents actually couldn't come out for my surgery like it it was too expensive. So I uh, did yours come out for yours? Mine came, yeah. Oh, did yeah, they? And I was so relieved. I was so, so, so relieved because, I mean, and they stayed for, oh, gosh, how long was it? They stayed for, I want to say, two weeks. Oh, my God. And, it I mean, it was just wonderful because to have that emotional support for something like that because I knew that my life was changing. Like, yeah. literally, like, I went from, as I was saying, like, being more or less normal. I was functioning like everyone else. I was, uh, you know, I had my, I had two arms to suddenly, like, having an arm chopped off. Yeah. To have my family there just as a, an emotional support during that transition was so valuable to me. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it meant the world to me that they came. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. As I said, like, I mean, when I was, when I had cancer the first time, it really healed our relationship. And I would say that, you know, it was even more, that, that healing was even more cemented the second time around. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. It's heavy stuff though. It's heavy. Yeah. yeah. How, how difficult was that for you being without your family, not really having many close friends or loved ones in Paris and going through something like that? How did you cope with it? Not well. It really, and it also really taught me about people because mm. there are some people who stepped up in ways that I, I can, I'm forever grateful for. Specifically, I, I live in a, in an apartment um, across from my door is my neighbor's door, and that's all. And we end, end up uh, becoming really good friends. And I don't think I could ever – I'm so beyond grateful for him. He came to the hospital, was there the second I got there, oh. stayed with me for the 10 hours I was in the hospital, and then helped throughout the next three months. Wow. In a way that, like – when we talk about burdens, mm. and I had other people who were who were friends and like didn't try, and then him and some other people who stepped up, you get taught a lesson real quick in yeah. a way that you don't really want to, of being one <laughs> how alone you are when you move to a foreign country, let alone a new place, and to how important having other humans is. Yes. And I, I don't know if this is your experience, but I know that for me, I really did realize who my true friends were through those two illnesses. Yeah. Because some of my friends, to be honest with you, they disappeared. Really? And I, some of them have said to me and others, I'm sure this is what they think as well, but they're like, you know, I just thought you needed space. But for me personally, and I don't know if everyone's like this, but for me personally, I will tell you if I need space. Okay. Mm. I, I otherwise, come on, like be there for me. Or they could ask you, do you yes, need space? Like, do you, do you, do you need time? Do you, do you want me to be scarce for a while? I mean, I would prefer that, uh, than just like disappearing when, you know, I've had my arm amputated, you know, like I, you know, it seems like it's just a physical thing, but it's really, you know. It touches every area of your life. It's an, an emotional experience. Being sick is emotional. Yeah. Know? Oh, my. Yeah. And the people here. So you had people here who disappeared, too. Um, to an extent, yeah. Like, I, I had, I guess, I mean, to be frank with you, uh, this is something that has changed since I moved to France. My definition of the word friend isn't the same. For me, a friend is, like, a real friend, yeah. not an acquaintance. I make a very distinct difference between the two and so people who I might have called friends at the time uh turned out to just be really acquaintances because they didn't even like come check in on me at the hospital when I was there and stuff like that you that know that gets me and I was there for like I mean I wasn't there for as long as you might expect after my amputation I was there for like a week yeah um but still some people like never stopped by and then other people who I never expected did come yeah you know and so it really shows you the the gems in your life when you're when you're sick I think I know that sometimes in this city people tend to be very pessimistic and they complain all the time and stuff like that but really there are some really good people out there and I I would much rather focus on that than the people who suck yeah <laughs> you know yeah it definitely it def it teaches you lessons mm -hmm. that I 
didn't really want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's very elucidating in a lot of ways. But yeah, um, uh, I I'm thankful, very thankful for those people who came and checked in on me, asked me if I needed anything. You know, um, that was a big help for me. Yeah how how great how big was your support system during this time? So I had my immediate family, obviously. Um, I had my partner and his family because I had gotten to know them as well. Um, and they, all of them were great. Um, and then I had, yeah, I had a couple of friends in Rennes where I was living at the time. Um, so I was diagnosed in Brest, but for the surgery, I actually had to like move in full time with my partner, um, and I had to stop my work contract and all that stuff because, anyway, it's complicated. But the nice thing is, even though it was a temporary work contract, you know, of like eight months, I think, um, I still got sick leave, you know. So I still got paid sick leave, which is so nice. <laughs> Thank you, France. Um, and so, yeah, I, I was on paid sick leave while I was living in Rennes. And, um, you know, I wasn't getting much, but I was getting something. And... Um, so yeah, I had I had that those those friends and then yeah, family and in-laws and um but yeah, so such a relief to have that that support network because you know, I got I've got some like emotional issues from my past just in general aside from my health and then like with the health on top of it, like I really needed that support network yeah. to be there for me. Otherwise I I would have gone crazy, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, navigating it alone. Not easy. It's not easy. Not easy. And not rec. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but you said so. But you said that it, it was quite expensive for you in the end. The the surgery yeah. or no, all like that. So the surgery you said you didn't have to pay for, but like the the other stuff, it was a lot out of pocket. What's gonna initially. bite me in the butt is the fact that my nurses. So for my particular surgery, I needed a nurse who came every single day for about three months. And it was 15 euros a day. Oh, my god! And only one of them could comprehend the fact that I could still get reimbursed for it. And the other couldn't. Um, so she wasn't aware of the way the system worked? I don't even know because I didn't have a credit to So she was just like, okay, well, 15 euros. I liked her, though. <laughs> but so um, part of it, some of it I'll get reimbursed and some of it I won't. Oh, my God. So that one nurse you won't get reimbursed for, but the other one you will? Did she yeah. not give you, like, the receipts and no. stuff? <gasps> she did you dirty. She did me because dirty. Because I, well, I mean, I never had to pay for my nurses because it was linked to my amputation, which, as I said, is covered by yeah. the French healthcare system completely. So, But I had nurses come to my place every day for a few weeks after my surgery, Um and they did the same thing for me, but yeah, I just had to. I gave, just gave them my carte vitale, and that was the end of the story. Yeah. The, I mean, I'm telling you, once you, once you have your carte vitale, it's amazing. I'm. It's great. I'm really ready for oh my that. Gosh, I'm sure you are. I hundred percent. Especially after all of this that you've been through, like having to pay all that out of pocket and waiting to be reimbursed and stuff. And the thing is, like, so for people who are navigating it, you have to have a GP prior to it, and so you have to send in a note from your GP once you get social. I had a lot of problems with my social security, though, because they are in a system where students get 
a certain temporary card before you get um, permanent social security. And um, my temporary was messed up. Something was wrong with my temporary. They, like, messed up my birthday. And then a lot of the systems didn't even recognize that it was temporary because it was so new. And they're actually getting rid of it, apparently, like, now. Yeah. It was a a trial, and it didn't work. Okay. But I finally got my official. Okay. Like, two weeks ago. Oh, so you did get your carte vitale. No. No. Now I have to, like, submit the paperwork. Oh, your official, like, paperwork. But I didn't send in any of my reimbursements yet because of how messed up my Social Security was. Yeah. And um, because the GP needed to give it to me. So now I have almost everything together to where I can start sending in my reimbursements. But I have like a stack of like 50 papers. Because if you don't have your carte vitale, they give you a paper that will help that you send in, which is horrible. And um, you get reimbursed. And I like photocopied them all and I have like a huge stack. Yeah, I do remember that. (laughs) I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, It's not fun. No. Yeah, but all the paperwork. I mean, France, honestly, okay, I would just like to make an announcement to (laughs) France. Um, A little suggestion, okay? Chill out with the paperwork and chill out with the papers. There are too many papers. It's slowly starting to be digitalized, (laughs) very slowly. It's funny because as Americans, we think Europe is so progressive and so advanced. And let me just tell you, uh, I have never had to walk around with a suitcase full of papers <laughs> that like holds my life in the U.S. I never had to do that ever, ever, ever. It's Whereas true. here in France, yeah. you have to keep everything, and they always want to see originals. They always want to see originals and photocopies, and yeah. so it's so annoying. Like France, please chill out with the paperwork. <laughs> oh my god, crazy! It drives me insane. Oh, my God. Yeah. But I will say, I would rather have all of that paperwork and pay what French people pay on average for healthcare, which is, like, about 4500 per person per year, you know? Um, we don't oh, pay th- actually, I was about to say. We don't pay yeah. that out of pocket, but, like, we pay about $3,000 um, with, with our taxes, um, and the rest comes from, like, other, like, you know... Um, uh, payroll taxes and uh, taxes on like alcohol and tobacco and stuff. But in the U.S., it's more than twice that. It's nine thousand, uh, about nine thousand four hundred per person per, person. Uh, per year. And uh, I so I will say, you know, you give and you take. I would much rather have a lot of paperwork and pay what French people pay for their healthcare and have the quality that French people have. Because I'm not going to say that in my experience, like the quality itself is that much better than the u.s but for as if we're talking about bang for your buck yes it is yes it absolutely is i don't think i got twice like healthcare that was twice as good in the u.s compared Mm. to france i don't know what about you like do you think that the u.s healthcare was that much better like twice as good i'm gonna i don't feel like i've ever had anyone consistent there was only one time my pediatrician was the only person who was consistent in my life i because I don't remember my brain surgery, yeah. so I don't know exactly. Like, I didn't follow through with him, although, in my opinion, he should have. So I I don't know. And we went a lot for Lyme. It's so controversial. I know. That yeah. my mom fought really hard. And so we went a lot out of the system. A lot, a lot. Like, I have a lot of crazy doctor stories. Like homeopathic stuff? Oh, 100%. Because, you know, like... Homeopathic stuff, contrary to the U.S., that is some of it is paid for by healthcare here in France. I think it's changing. Is it? Is yeah. it changing to that, shun it? No, worse. It's yeah, yeah. To it's, shun it's it. It's making it worse. I mean, 
I, I have opinions about homeopathic stuff too, but like, yeah. I mean, what, what, what have your experiences been with it? I'm, I would say for right now, what I'm treating for like how I'm treating my own like gut problems, it's more homeopathic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's working for you. I mean, working's a, it's hell. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just doing it. Um, but I've had really strange experiences. I, um, here's one guy who he held these bottles of, I don't even know what they were. It's like, I don't even, I can't even explain it. And he'd like hold it over your body and he'd be like, oh, you're really inflamed here. Oh, <laughs> I feel God. like, See, that's the, what is happening? I feel like that's such a stereotype about homeopathic medicine. Like, they need to chill out with that. I just imagine like people lying on a table and someone like, yeah, legit. You know, just like snapping above them and being like, hmm, your energy, uh, your aura. It was like, definitely. But yeah, like just so many inconsistencies to where I, but I will say like recently in my adult life, I tried a GP in the States who wasn't great and didn't really appreciate her. And then my GP here, whom I love, but there's a difference in that in the States, I could be in, I was in that room for some time I like cried and it was like a thing in the US oh in the states and like really? okay. but here it's oh, yeah. like it's a like 25 minute chop chop down yeah 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 and I've definitely felt that where it's like I have multiple things I need to go through mm. and like we only talk about the most important and we don't talk about the rest um and I'm like those are just as important but obviously not as emergency and that I think for me has been the frustration. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it's true that in in the US since we're charged so much for everything. Yeah. You kind of and doctors are also like paid quite a bit more. Like a GP yeah. in France makes about half of what a doctor makes in the US. But But how's that compared to like regular salaries in general? Right. Well, I mean, that no and that's a good point. I mean, salaries in general are in France are lower. Apparently, um in in France, per year, GPs make about one hundred two thousand euros per year. So that's like eight thousand five hundred euros per month. But that's you know gross, not net. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the US, it's about sixteen thousand uh, per month. Are we? Did we do the conversion? Yeah, sixteen thousand okay. euros per month. You want it in dollars too? Wow. I don't know what it no, is. No, I don't care about dollars. <laughs> um, so, I mean, doctors make less here, but they also they don't have to pay for malpractice insurance because people don't really get sued over here that much. Yeah. So they don't have to worry about that. And um, no, but I think that almost gives doctors the luxury of spending more time with you in the states. Yeah. Yeah. When they're when they're paid that much more in a way. It's like yeah. it's all right if it goes a little over time, it's fine. But I will say that because of doctors going over time in the US, I in the US have had to wait like over an hour to see a doctor. Okay, yeah. When I've had an appointment at a specific time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas in France that's almost never happened to me. Yeah, okay, actually I So that's very nice cuz that. I'm somebody who likes for things to be on time. Mm-hmm. Okay? <laughs> that's my that German heritage of mine. Hey, <laughs> coming through. <laughs> Yeah, my GP here, she um, is incredible, and she—I think she's Canadian. She was explaining because I was talking about how I wanted to see my um, my initial brain surgeon and follow up with him, and she was like, "Yeah, I would love to be in contact with him. I'd love to be in contact and work together with people because she's like here in France, and it's true. I've ex- 
I've experienced it quite a bit to where it's like you go from one person to the other and there's no connection in between them whatsoever unless there's a personal right. history. Right. I I have carpal tunnel, mild carpal tunnel in both my wrists and neuropathy up to my elbows. And I went to a neurologist for everything else, including the carpal tunnel. And I was like, this is important because if I don't address this, I'll probably need surgery down the line. And she was like, okay, well, you can do steroids, but you can't do it here. You have to go somewhere else. And then that's another like two, three months of waiting for that. You mean like, why, why couldn't you do it there? Because it's another doctor. Oh, okay. Right, 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 right. It's yeah. like an entirely different. But I mean, the good thing about France is like, I mean, I don't know about you in the U.S., but like when I was in the mm. U.S., in my experience, if you wanted to see a specialist, you had to get a referral. Whereas yeah. here in France, it's not required. What? Yeah. I mean, not required. No. But you, you pay... wouldn't get reimbursed. Yeah. you. It's more expensive if you, yeah. if you do not get a referral. Um, so it's recommended that you get a referral, but you don't have to have one. You can, you can still go if you really want to, to a specialist without getting a referral, which is nice. Mm. Um, uh, I, I did find that thing that I was looking for. Doc- so doctors here don't have to pay for, med- um, uh, malpractice insurance or medical school. That's the thing. But back to your point about like the doctors not having any contact with each other. So like the idea here is supposed to be that your GP is like the hub for all of your medical documents yeah. and that they will be connected to all of your doctors and that they will bring everything together. But as you're saying, that's not enough because the specialists need to have contact with each other. Mm -hmm. And this is actually why France has started promoting a system. It's existed for a while, but they're really starting to push it more. Um, It's called the... DMP, the Dossier Médical Partagé. And so it's a... um, It's it's a virtual uh, dossier for you personally where doctors or you personally can upload all medical documents related to your health situation so that any doctor can have access to it. And this is a very recent thing. And as you said, like it's very sorely needed because I, I mean, and not enough doctors use it. I, I was at a center in Rennes where they had just started using it. It was a brand new thing. And I was like, this is amazing. Like this is exactly what they've needed here. And so I uploaded tons of documents to it, like from my American uh, oh, health wow. history and stuff even though they don't understand everything in English, a lot of the medical words are the same, you know? So, yeah. uh, so they, they can see my health history at a glance, uh, but not enough doctors are using it. Not enough people know about it, but it does exist. So dossier médical partagé, check it out. That's so, cause I literally had to do tests for my neurologist and he would come and say one thing, He'd be like, you have this response and your spine is like this. And then I'd go back to the neurologist and she'd be like, no. Nah. And I'm like, nah. <laughs> and then were they relying on you to be the liaison yeah. there? Oh, my God. See, that's the stressful thing. And especially since, like, we're not native speakers, like, for us to communicate all of that stuff when it's so complicated and so intricate, it's just a bit much. So, no, the dossier médical partagé is amazing. DMP, guys. So as someone who, I mean, we've talked about it. I have an invisible illness that people can't see. You have visible. How does it feel? Because I've watched certain things on it. How does it feel if, if people ask if they can help you? I mean, I, I would say my, my perspective on this has kind of changed over time. Uh, I originally, I remember saying shortly after my amputation, because people would ask me if I needed help. It, but I also lived in Brittany and... In Brittany, people have a reputation for being very welcoming and kind and sweet, you know. So maybe it was because I was in Brittany. I don't know. But when I first had my amputation, people did ask me if I wanted help. And I remember saying 
unless I ask you for help, don't ask. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, just don't worry about it. I'm fine. Um, but now I kind of think the opposite. I'm like, I will, yeah, I would love for you to ask me if I need help. But the problem is that people don't often see that I am handicapped. They just think I'm fiddling with something with one hand and they're like probably walking by thinking like, what's wrong with him? You know? <laughs> so I, uh, I, I do wish people would ask more, honestly, because I often struggle with doing things. The the one that really gets me, because this is like honestly the main moment in public where it comes up, is when I'm checking out somewhere and I'm at the cash register, especially at the supermarket. And here, I mean, it's not quite on like the German level of efficiency at a supermarket, but like it's pretty darn close sometimes. And so it's like, come on, chop, chop, like, let's get everybody on here. Like, okay, down the conveyor belt, scan, 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 please pay. Okay, next, please. And then, so it's, it's really fast. And they will often, even if you haven't finished packing up or you haven't finished, like in my case, I haven't finished putting away my wallet or something, or I haven't been able to close my wallet and I'm literally just fiddling with it, like trying to like get it closed. Uh, Cause you know, there's a little snap where there, there's the change purse because European problems, we need a little change purse in our wallet. Um, yeah. It's something that men and back in the U S I feel like don't have. No. Um, and so when I'm doing that, they'll often just, call on the next customer and they'll start scanning their stuff and their stuff will start mixing with mine and the customer's like standing there waiting for me to move so that they can pay at the credit card machine. And I'm just standing there frustrated like, can't you see that I'm handicapped? And then I remember, oh, no, you probably can't, (laughs) you know? So I think if they knew that I was handicapped that they probably wouldn't do stuff like that. But they they do it. But it's also that whole, now that people can't tell right off the bat your handicap, you miss out on that understanding, but you also are treated more normal. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's true. And in some ways it's nice because, I mean, like I said, little kids don't stare at me and cry when they see me. But, uh, you know, there there are some other downsides to it where it's like I might be in the metro or on the train and I'd like to sit down because I'm carrying my bag with one arm. Yeah. And... Because of that, I I didn't mention this earlier, but because of my amputation, like I'm slowly over time developing scoliosis, and um, it's it's painful sometimes. And so, I, yeah, I would like to sit down, but um, you know, in the past, I haven't had a card to show people like I'm handicapped, and so I deserve to sit here because they, they actually have a card for this. Yeah. Um, I just got notified last week that I'm now eligible for it, and you better believe I am getting that card. Because that's going to be great. I'm going to be so curious as to how people actually respond to that. Well, I'm not. I'm not going to wave it around. But like, it, it'll be nice to have if I ask someone, like, "Can I have your seat?" Which I, to be frank, never do. Yeah. But if I ever say that and the person says no, I can get out the card and be like, "Hey, like, I'm legally allowed to have your seat." Mm-hmm. So, you know, chop chop. Do you? <laughs> you've never done it. No. Do you think with the card? you'll feel better about doing it now? Because obviously you've needed it. No, I don't think I'm going to ask people more often when I get the card. It'll just be nice to have it to like show concretely that I have a handicap. Also, um, you know, I love going to museums and stuff. And oftentimes at museums you can get in for free if you're handicapped. So I can just like show them the card and 
Oh man! Yeah, there are some benefits to being handicapped. You know? I mean, ladies and gentlemen, take of it. you know, just amputate your arm or leg, and then <laughs> you know you'll lose a few kilos and be able to get in for free. No, I'm lose just kidding. Don't do that. Kilo. Don't do that. I do not recommend uh, becoming an amputee. It's not a great time. Yeah, but you know, hey, this is this is my kind of burden that I have to bear in my life. This is these are the cards I've been dealt. I tried to make the most of it, but um, how long did it get for you to mentally be there? It took a while. I I mean, I, I'm not 100% there. Yeah. But I, I, I must say I've never, well, with regards to my health, I've, I haven't spent a lot of time sitting around feeling sorry for myself. Like, I've just kind of been like, okay, yeah. like, this is how it is. Like, let's, let's go. But, I mean, therapy has helped a lot with that. And, like, to just to talk about therapy really quickly, um, as a student uh, in France, you can get free therapy many universities uh will have a psychologist on staff that you can start seeing and then after several sessions they'll ask you if you would like to continue and you can either continue with them for a little while or they can transition you out into a proper like uh, to the um, care of a proper psychologist basically which is what i did and that's the psychologist i'm still seeing even though i'm not a student anymore They've been able to extend my treatment for free through French healthcare for one year, um, and then after that point, yeah, you have to pay like uh, a copay. But there are there are centers all across France that offer free psychologists and psychiatrists to people. Um, although psychiatrists are technically covered by French healthcare, but I I mention that because you know we're talking about physical ailments, but also mental ailments are part of that, and yeah. um, you know there's uh-huh. support for those people as well. So I've dealt with depression, I would say, most of my mm-hmm. life. And Same. I, yeah. And I, um, I didn't see a therapist, I don't see a therapist consistently. And it's a money thing. It's not because I don't want to. It's definitely because there are priorities, unfortunately. Isn't that sad? It's horrifying. Yeah. Um, I mean, mental health is physical health. Your yeah. brain is part of your body, people. Come on. But there's also for me, because I'm, the the reason I'm not on mutual yet is because I'm deciding, because I see this physiotherapist who has worked with patients specifically with curing malformation before, um, who is not in the system. Um, Could you not find someone who's in the system that does something similar? So I was going to Kines, yeah. um, which is and I went to them for quite some time and it was hard because my I have so many problems not to be obnoxious about it but like you have to touch the carpal you have to touch my head you have to touch my spine like I need it all yeah it can't just be one and they would just do one thing mm-hmm. they would only focus on my neck mm-hmm. and I don't even know if they focused on my neck well because I might have extra bone back there. Like, you shouldn't dig into it. There's, like, a lot of things that shouldn't happen if you have a condition like mine. You have to be very aware of the whole situation. Very aware. And it just definitely didn't feel like they were. Yeah, and for anybody who doesn't know, a kiné is a kinésotherapeute, which is a physical therapist, basically. Yeah, yeah. uh, In in France. Um, I I saw one as well after my amputation. Um, They were, like, training me to, like, sit straight and carry myself well which is yeah over time i've started like leaning again to, it's like an unconscious thing but like you compensate for yeah. any injuries you might have or like in my case my surgery like i you compensate for it unconsciously and your body shifts and does all kinds of weird things the first kine i saw here 
she tr- like did two sessions with me and then I brought in the papers of like this is this and she saw stuff with my eyes and she was like you're too complicated I can't handle it and I was like oh cool cool <laughs> these are the moments when you wonder like maybe people should start suing in France because yeah. you know like sounds like she deserved it she didn't want to do her job and the government's paying for it <laughs> it's definitely like a uh, I think she was like you need to see neurology like you need more than what I can give you Oh, okay. Well, I mean, if she's phrasing it like that, that sounds Yeah, but it definitely came out as like, this. there's too much going on. Like, I can't help. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. So that's the reason why I've been considering, mm. ooh, getting me trial, uh, not getting me trial as a pair, like, compared to... I think to you should still get a mutual. Because the, with the thing with the mutual is if you are hospitalized uh, for some reason they will cover the costs of that. And I mean, to be yeah. fair, like going to the hospital, like even if you don't have it, it's not that expensive. Like, I mean... I the, paid nothing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's on average, if you do have to pay something, it's going to be like about 18 euros a day and that's yeah. for like room and board. Yeah, like, yeah, it. if you're overnight, yeah. And um, otherwise, like you pretty much don't have to pay anything, which is beautiful compared to the American system. I mean, oh my God. I mean, in the American system, you get a box of tissues and they like slap you with a bill for $50. I mean, it's ridiculous. So true. Yeah. It's so true. Um, so that's a nice thing to not have. But yeah, I remember coming to moving here and, and um, so the, the, about the week before I moved here, I was actually still considering not because I had been dealing with, my health like took a really bad turn for about a few months before, and I had um, an MRI like two days before I moved here. That for some reason, when I have an MRI, I think it hits whatever is happening with the back of my neck, and I can't feel my body. Oh my god! And it's incredibly. It was like three hours of pain, and I was crying, and it was a horrible oh experience. No. And it was quite difficult to walk after as well for a few days. And I was like moving to France like two days after it. And I was like. I'm going to need someone to talk to. And I reached out to my university that's tiny. My university is tiny, so they don't have a, um, someone on staff. And mm. she was like, I kind of know this person. And it's just so expensive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is expensive. But there are there are centers for psychologists and psychiatrists that are free in France. That does mm. exist. It's called the Centre Médical Psychologique, the CMP. Okay. And those exist all over France. And they're funded. So more good information to know. No, and I, I, I think really the, the thing is when you're a foreigner, you need somebody to show you the ropes in 100%. this kind of a system because there are things that are there for us, but it's just we don't necessarily know about them. You, have to, you can't be afraid to ask questions. You've got you to gotta dig. And that's, what I, that's why I was very honest with my psychologist. You know, When I thought our sessions were wrapping up before I found out I could get a one-year extension with him, uh, I said, you know, I'm going to be stopping my sessions with you because I can't afford it. I was yeah. like, I, I can't keep coming to see you every week. And he that's when he told me about this. I was like, do you know of any options for people who can't uh, pay for it? And that's when he told me about the Centre, Centre Médical Psychologique. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's a good option maybe. But I don't know if they have people who speak English, which would be, I mean, honestly, really nice. My psychologist doesn't speak English. I'm fine. But, like, I mean, I, it depends on someone's level of French, honestly. Yeah. Whether or not they're going to feel comfortable with that. Don't neglect your mental health, people. And don't be ashamed to talk about it, okay? Like, I, when I was taking antidepressants, yeah. I was very open about it. And I could sense that it made some people uncomfortable. But, I mean, honestly, like... I'm not ashamed of my brain being part of my body. 
Like, I don't know why that's been a thing for so long, but sorry, it, it's not a thing for me. Yeah. You know? Um, for some people it's genetic. In my case, that's the, that's true. It's genetic. Yeah. Okay. Like, I mean, my, I, depression runs in my family basically, you know? And so, I mean, I've, I've had issues with that for a very long time as well. Um, so I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of any more than any other, uh, medical problem. I find that so interesting. I don't know if ours is genetic, but, um, when I told my parents they cried, which was when you told your parents that you were depressed? Yeah. They cried? Yeah. They thought they were causing it. Oh, right. Yeah. It's deeper than that. There's no one cause. No, no. and I made sure. Dude, yeah. But this is where it comes to the sense of burden. It's like me tell... I definitely experienced this with my dad where um, he... Um, his family has a lot of health problems. Like his genetically, it's just crap. Um and so I, while I was going through a lot of testing, at least the most recent testing, there was like talk about, I don't know, really simple things like high blood pressure and whatever. Um, and I just saw his face fall because he's like, that's my family. Like that's mm. my side. Mm-hmm. And this depression, like that's m- me. Mm. As opposed to like, no, it's my life. And I feel that kind of burden of like, with other people, like, I know other people don't care, but, like, I care. It's a burden when you're sick um, for you personally, but also there are those times when you're like, am I a burden to the people around me? Like, am I, is, because of the things that I need linked to my health, am I bringing down those people around me? And that can be rough. Psychologically, uh, it, it can be a tough time. Really, yeah. Once you start going down that spiral. It's a spiral. I felt it that is. a lot. A yeah. lot. Yeah. I would imagine you probably. Yeah. Yeah. I, f- I feel it. I feel it sometimes, you know. I'm not going to lie. There, there are days when I, and I don't know if this is depression or if it's like after my cancer treatment or if it's just me. I don't know. But some days I'm just like too tired and I feel like I just don't want to get up. I don't want to get out of bed. And then, yeah, there are those voices that are just like. Like, just don't even bother. Like, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not worth it today, you know? Yeah. And I, you know, that's part of why I see a psychologist. They, yeah. They help, me, they help me, like, keep the voices at bay. Which is, exactly. <laughs> like, the first three, it was, like, within the first three or four weeks after surgery, my neighbor would come and, like, knock on my door and be like, hey, how are you? And I'd have to have done something. Like, there's this, you have to, like, I needed to do errands like I couldn't not and everyone's working or everyone's busy and I like wobble my way because I literally wobbled (laughs) it's the worst I would me and my friend would be walking my pace and old people would pass us and I'd be like cool hi um and I and he'd be like did you have any help and I'd be like no Hmm. he's like no one helped you I was like you were working the other three people I know in this city were working like, you just, I'm not going to burden you for any more than what. Wow. Yeah. What you've already given, which is too much. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you've given too much. I was talking to my GP and she's like, most people are usually sick when they're young and then get healthy when they're older. Or are sick when they get older and healthy when they're young. And we've been in the situation where it's, at least for me, it's never stopped. 
Right. Yeah. And like, I mean, I, I alluded to this earlier, but, um, when I had cancer the first time, I came down with a virus while I was continuing my chemotherapy after my big surgery to remove the tumor. And this virus, um, actually, wait, no, I take that back. I, the, the virus started developing just before the surgery mm. and I was bedridden, um, in a hospital for three weeks. I couldn't walk anymore. I was losing my vision. Um, some of my organs started failing. My fingernails were falling off. My toenails were falling off. My eyebrows and eyelashes, which somehow had held in there until that point, all fell out. And I lost... So I I mean, I know that those of you who are listening to this um, can't see me, but I weigh about like 55 kilos. So I think that's around about like 120 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, I lost 10 kilos from from Which being like 20, I was I was but I wasn't even at my weight originally at that time. Mm-hmm. I was more at like 100 I would say I was at 110 pounds mm-hmm. and I lost 10 kilos. So I was down to like 90 something pounds. And so I was skeletal and the doctors really thought I was going to die. Like they they had to talk with my parents and they were like we don't know what's going on. We don't know why he's so sick. Uh but he might die. And you guys need to prepare yourselves for that. And, like, to think that, like, your son's going to die because of a virus. I mean, like, talk about a burden. Like, I felt guilty for making my parents go through that, you know? Like, I don't want to make you think your son's going to die. Just, you know, as if cancer wasn't bad enough to know that, like, a stupid virus has come along. Yeah, what comes and happens. Which is often what happens to cancer patients, honestly. Like, they often get sick from something else and that kills them in the end. Or the chemotherapy kills them. You know, it's not the cancer itself for a lot of people. And, um... And so, yeah, that situation really gave me a different perspective on illness, on death, um, but also, of course, is very unexpected by those around me because, like, how how is someone going to know that I almost died yeah. when I was 17? How are they going to know that I had that experience? Something that most people our age don't experience, you know? At all. And that's, that's health for you, you know? You don't, you don't choose it, but y- it gets thrown on you and you just kind of have to make do. <laughs> yeah, I will say I have gain greater appreciation for the people who have invisible illnesses and like making sure that if someone's in a wheelchair and they you don't see a visible problem like there's a reason they're in a wheelchair don't judge them yeah yeah absolutely and don't stare at them people like i like have a psa for all you frenchies out there who think it's okay to stare at people it's not (laughs) like if you see someone who's handicapped or something don't stare at them just let like you can notice and look away like, yeah. I mean, let them live their lives because they already know that they are, they're handicapped and they don't want to feel subconscious. You're not introducing them lives. to something new. No. <laughs> and like, I correct your children as well because, Oof. ugh. I've like, heard that from multiple people. My gosh. Like, I just wish people would correct their children when they do things like that. When, when kids were staring at me and crying and screaming, I never heard one parent correct their child while I was there. And I was like, come on. Like. That's horrible. Get it together. I've yeah. heard that from other people. Yeah. It's a problem. Anyway, well, <laughs> this has been a roller coaster. Yeah, and I'm so happy to have taken it with you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, being here and being so open about things that I don't think a lot of people are open about or think about too much. Thank you for letting me blab for a very long time. <laughs> a very could, long time. I could do it again. <laughs> <laughs> we might need it. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thanks so much.